haven't had the chance to meet you. My name is Jason, one of the pastors here, and I have the great privilege to open God's Word with you. And we're going to do that here in just a few moments. Uh, but before we jump into our study of Psalm 1, that's where we'll be, um, if you were with us last week, we're doing something a little different over the next uh, several weeks, and that is we're, we're looking at really what is foundational to us as a church, what is kind of core to who we are uh, as Christ's covenant. And so if you were with us last week, uh, we showed you this tool that we use, and it's really how we think about discipleship here, um, and it is what we call the covenant wheel. Uh, and at the very center of the wheel, as we looked at last week, um, I think we got it up on the screen here. At the very center of that wheel, we looked at these three kind of core convictions that we hold to as a church. I mean, literally the church, the word ekklesia in the Greek means those who've been called out, the, the called out ones. We have been called out by the gospel. The gospel has come to you, the good news that Jesus is Lord, that he saved us from our sins, that he's brought us back into communion with God. That, that news has called out to you. It's called you out of the world and into fellowship with God. And not just in fellowship with God, but also in fellowship with one another. We've been called out and we've been called together. And even now, living under the authority of Jesus, we begin to live out life as if Jesus were reigning. That's really what it means to be a Christian. And we talk about that as this kingdom reality, that together we're living as kingdom people, living under the reign of Jesus. Not everybody in this age is living under the reign of Jesus, but we've been called out of the age. We're living under the reign of Jesus. And we're not just called out and called together. We're, we're sent out. God's given us a mission that, that many others would come to know him in this way. So the very core of who we are as a church Gospel kingdom mission. We want that to be present. And if you're with us last week, and I don't have time to go through it today, that the second ring is the values that we've kind of put around that that really give clarity to, to what we mean by that and, and how it works out in our lives. But the outer ring of the covenant wheel is, is really where we're going to be spending our time over the next several weeks looking at what we call you know, behaviors or rhythms, things that God has given us. We see these in God's word that he's given us to grow in our love for the gospel, our understanding of the kingdom of Christ and, and our obedience to the mission of Christ. And so you know, we see these here. Last week, if you were with us, we looked at corporate worship. Today, we're looking at personal devotion. And over the next few weeks, we're gonna look at family worship, supporting the church, which is honoring the Lord with our wealth and generosity, relational discipleship, which is this call of Christians to come together and stir one another along in community toward godliness, personal evangelism, or sharing our faith, letting others know this good gospel news, serving the church, using the gifts that God has entrusted us to serve uh, one another, to bless the city, to, to pursue what is good and merciful and just in the community that God has called us to, and then reaching the world, our, our effort as a church to make disciples of all nations. Now, our goal in all of these, I want to be very careful, careful and we talked about this last week, and, and I sent out a little video of this last week about how spiritual growth works, so I, I hope you can look at that on your email or you can look at the YouTube, but I want to be very careful. We're not just asking you to do nine things. That's not the goal here. It's like we want a more active church. We want a more godly church. 
And, and really what these nine things are is, is they're, they're, as I said, they're rhythms or they're behaviors that God, we believe, has given us to help us grow in godliness. One of the little illustrations or analogies that we have used, and it's not original to us, is that of the trellis in the vine. So this is my little trellis. It's not maybe the best drawing ever. But the goal is spiritual growth, right? And so if, if we are vines, if you will, in this analogy, we are the, this living organism that we want to grow. If you're a gardener and you really want to have vines grow, you need some structure for them to grow around it. Have you ever seen a, a bunch of vines just growing without any trellis? It's just this jumbled mess and they can't grow as strong as as they should grow. And so really what, what, what we as elders and pastors see our job as is to give you some structure, which is the covenant wheel, for you to grow, for you to grow in godliness. Again, it's not for you just to do things. If we just had all this structure out there, but none of you love Jesus more, it'd be a total failure. Just as a trellis that's empty uh, and you're trying to grow vines would be a failed attempt at a you, you wouldn't be a good gardener just for building a great trellis. You're, you become a great gardener when you have a trellis that's full of healthy vines. And so that's really the, the picture. We believe that as you, as a vine, grow in corporate worship and engage in corporate worship and you're studying the Bible on your own in, in personal discipleship, as you're discipling your families, as you're sharing your faith, as you're joining with one another, as you're loving the Lord in generosity, as you're using the gifts to serve, et cetera, et cetera, what we're going to have, hopefully, as a church is, is, is tons of healthy vines that are following this pathway toward faithfulness and godliness in the Lord. And then to kind of further the analogy, of course, the, the ultimate gardener on this is the Lord, but, but we believe that what he is called to kind of under-shepherd this or to come alongside you and the members of our church and our spiritual growth are the pastors of our church. Now, you might say, well, how does you know, one pastor uh, see to the vine worker, if you will, of all of, these, uh, all of these members, all of these people? And of course, we don't believe that one pastor can do this. I certainly cannot do this. And so we as a church have many pastors. God has been gracious to give us 26 elders now. And some of those are on staff. Some of those are staff pastors, staff elders, and some of those are lay elders, men that have other jobs. They work in a different profession, but they give in a part-time basis, some of their time to serve the church in this very profound and God-honoring, I believe, way. And so what we've done is, you know, depending on where you live, and again, if you're a member of the church, most of you know this. If you're not, uh, this might be new to you, but depending on where you live, if you join the church, so if you live here in the north, I think we have four or five elders up here that oversee those that live in this part of the city, and four or five here in the middle of our city, and four or five here in the south, and, and our goal really is to give proper care of those members that live in those places. Our, our goal is that no one uh, elder would, would have to shepherd more than 50 members. Um, and that, you know, we are a growing church, so that's been a challenge for us, but we've been basically able to honor that. And, and an analogy that I give, because people say, well, what does the elder do? And, you know, I, I don't want you to be confused. The, the elder is not really called to like be your best friend or to go to all your kids' softball games. or so. But the elder wants to, to really ensure a few things. That you're known in the body, so that somebody knows you in the body, that you're cared for, that, that, that you are in good patterns of spiritual growth. 
um, that, that you're protected from sin, that there's somebody there to, to protect you when you fall into patterns of sin, to call you back into the fellowship of the body. Uh, you know, the analogy I often kind of use here, and this is, again, a, a biblical analogy, is just one of a shepherd in a pasture. And so if the, if the green grass, if the good grass, you know, we, we've laid out the covenant wheel, if that's the middle of the, of the pasture here, so the the sheep, the, the members of the church that are reading their Bibles and going to corporate worship and serving one another and in community, they're hanging out in the, in the middle of the pasture. That's exactly what we want. Now, the good news about Christ's covenant is so many of you are right there. You, you, you take your faith very seriously. We know you're studying your Bible, you're fighting sin, you're, you're in community with one another. And so I would just say, I, we certainly want to be praying for you as an elder body, and our elders are very committed. That was the other thing I didn't mention. They're very committed to be praying for you on a regular basis. But if you, if you haven't heard from your elder in a little while, that actually might be a good sign. You know, it might mean, okay, well, he knows your community group leader, or you're really good friends with another elder, and he says, you know, how's Joe doing, or how's Mary doing? And it's like, well, they're doing great. They're, they're there every week. They're confessing sin. They're growing in faith. So you haven't heard from your elder in a while. It might be a miss, but it probably means you're doing well. A lot, of the, a lot of our time as elders is spent <laughs> with those of you, and I'm, hopefully some of y'all are here today, I'm calling you back in now, that are out here. And, you know, to be honest, if you have to be honest, your, your spirituality, your faith, your love for the Lord is not center in your life. It's not the most important thing in your life. And our goal, and I'll, I want to do it right now, is to call you back home. Say, don't waste your life. Don't, don't spend your days and your times chasing after futile things. Come, follow Jesus. Give your life to what really matters. And in, in a prayerful and loving way, that's, that's where we spend a lot of our time. And sometimes we even have to hang out out here with members that have fallen into deep patterns of sin. I say, come home. Come Come back. Come back in. Don't, don't, don't keep wandering. It's destructive out there. You're going to die out there. The, the wolves are going to get you out there. So that's really our hope with all of this. You know, if you could, again, back to the analogy of the trellis and the vine, if the vines are the members, if the trellis is this covenant wheel, really the, the, the gardeners are the undergardeners. God is the ultimate gardener, but the undergardeners are the the pastors, to make sure, are we, are we really growing in this way? We want to be faithful in that. And so as we continue this discussion, uh, you can open your Bibles to Psalm chapter 1. Amy's going to come and read for us. And we're going to be looking at this second um, commitment and ry- a rhythm of behavior that we call you to, which is personal devotion. Good morning. Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the Wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
I, I remember being a, when I was a child, I asked my dad what he most prayed for me. You know, what is it that you most prayed for me, dad? And I thought he would say something like, I pray that you would prosper, you know. I pray that you would prosper. We all want to prosper. But he said, you know, <laughs> he said, more than that, son, I pray that you would be wise. I pray for wisdom. I pray for wisdom. That you'd be wise. And, and wisdom really is this, that you could see the world rightly. I mean, that's what wisdom is. It's having the highest perspective. It's, it's having the right perspective. It's seeing the full picture. And of course, only God is ultimately wise, right? Only God sees everything. Only God has the full picture on things. Uh, and that makes this, this psalm so powerful. It's really a, a wisdom psalm. It's, it's a psalm that says, be wise. Before we get into all the other psalms, which are incredible and amazing, it's a call to, to be wise, to have a better perspective, to know what is right. And, and in this particular psalm, to know which is the wise or righteous path and which is the wicked path. You know, it's interesting in literature, there's this theme comes up often. The theme of the paths, right? The theme of this path or, or, or this path. I think it's a way that we kind of think about our lives. Uh, you know, obviously Robert Frost, very famously, the, the two roads that diverged in a wood, right? It's this poem about paths, about which road are you going to take? Which, which way are you going to go? We're faced with those kinds of decisions often in our life. Dante, uh, the divine comedy actually begins the same way. It says midway this life, or midway this way of life we're bound upon, I woke to find myself in a dark wood where the right road was wholly lost and gone. You know, one of my favorites uh, is the old Beatles song, Yesterday. Suddenly, I'm not half the man I used to be. There's a shadow hanging over me. Oh, yesterday came suddenly. And, and here's Paul McCartney thinking about what happened yesterday. A, a road diverged. I, I got on a different path. It was, I'm going to guess, some breakup that he went through. But, but now I'm on the wrong road. This, uh, there's a Christmas movie I love that I actually didn't even get to watch this year. But uh, Family Man, you know that movie? Nicolas Cage, Taya Leone, great movie. And it's kind of the same thing. There's this decision, there's this moment, and if you make this decision, you'll end up over here, and if you make that decision, you'll end up over here. Wisdom is the ability to know which one is the best decision, <laughs> which one is right, which one will ultimately lead you to prosper. That's wisdom. What way leads to long-term prospering, wisdom. You know, uh, there's many kinds of psalms. A few summers ago, we looked at different types of psalms. Um, there was a whole series, I encourage you, it was summer 2020. We looked at psalms of lament and psalms of praise. We looked at the imprecatory psalms. You know, there's psalms that God has given you Bible verses when you get really mad at someone to say, right? There's all these kinds of psalms, and they, they display a, an array of human emotion, but, but one of the types of psalms that the Lord has given us, and it's how he starts this grand corpus called, called the psalms, is this wisdom psalm, this didactic psalm. It teaches us something, and it teaches us something about the wise path or the righteous path and the wicked path. It teaches us something about the way to truly prosper. So three things I want to look at 
in this psalm. First of all, the path of the wicked. Secondly, the path of the righteous. And then the third, the way to the path. So let's look at the path of the wicked. You know, the Psalms, we'll go back to my little iPad here. The, the Psalms have these amazing little triads. I just want you to see this. Um, this happens a lot. It's a literary device that you see often in the Psalms. Um, but you, you'll, notice it, you'll notice it in this passage, right? So there's this great little triad. So blessed is the man who walks not, so walks not, let's go to yellow to make it a little better, walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of, you could say way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. So notice the triad here. First of all, he's walking, then he's standing, then he's sitting, counsel, way, seat. Okay, that's a very interesting little progression there, right? He's, he's walking, <laughs> then he's standing, then he's sitting. He's being counseled, He's in the way, and he's of them. He's in the seat of scoffers, right? There's a progression here. The way of the wicked or the path of the wicked can just grab you. And eventually, I think the point is, is you become the wicked yourself. Now, there's another triad, though, to talk about the way of the righteous or the path of the righteous. His delight is in the law of the Lord. On his law, he meditates day and night, He is like a tree planted by streams of water. And then here's what the tree does. It yields its fruit in season. Its leaf does not wither. And all he does, he prospers. He's he's fruitful, he's alive, and he's prosperous. The way of the wicked, the path of the wicked, the path of the righteous. So I want to look at the path of the wicked here. Now, I want to be clear. You know, some of you are are in a, in a more of an aware way stepping toward wickedness. Now, you didn't wake up this morning and say, "Okay, which way am I going today? Righteous, wicked, toward prospering, or toward destruction?" I think I'm going to choose wicked destruction today. You know, nobody ever has done that. You don't do that. This is the problem with the pathway of the wicked. This is the problem with the path of the wicked. You, rarely do you kind of choose it. Now, there may be somebody you know that's so wicked, they just choose the wicked thing. But most of the time, we find ourselves on it <laughs> before we go after it. We, we, we drift into it, and we don't even necessarily realize where we are. Now, there, there are some things on this path that are overtly wicked. And, and, and you know, that is why doing what you're doing right now, coming to a worship service. You know, I talked to a guy this morning, and I've been trying to get him back into church. And he said, I was nervous to come today, and now I'm, see, I'm even more nervous. And you know what? If you feel that way, if you're like, ah, I shouldn't have done this, now I'm going to feel all guilty, that, that feeling of conviction is really what you're feeling, is God's mercy and kindness to you. That's why it's good to go to a worship service. You don't don't wake up in the morning and say, I'm gonna do the wicked thing today. I'm gonna pursue destruction today. I'm gonna gonna do the thing that doesn't please God today. Nobody, Nobody wakes up and says that, or very few people do. Most people just find their way. 
They find themselves in the way of wickedness. And, and, and I would just say to some of you, there are some things that right now, even as you sit here right now, the Lord is convicting you on. And I would just say, that's, that's a good, that's God's kindness. Conviction actually is a sign of God's love for you. And so to the person here, and maybe, and I, I don't know this, I'm not, I'm not pointing fingers because I know exactly your story, but there, there may be somebody here today and you're considering something that you know is dishonest at work right now. And everybody else is going along with it. Everybody else has justified it and it seems fine, but you know it's wrong. You know it doesn't please the Lord. I would just say, let, let this be a moment of clarity. Don't just, don't just keep going down the way of the wicked. Wake up. Repent of that. Get out of that situation. Shine light on that situation. There may be another person here today and there is someone in your life and, and you're flirting with them and it's bad news. You're, you're, you're married and yet you've allowed this person emotionally or maybe even physically into your life. Stop that. that that's the, the way of the wicked. It will not stand on the day of judgment. You're going to regret this. It is a deep scar in your life. There are people here, and I know this is true of people here today, and, and pornography, and this is true of men and even women, that has been an issue in your life. I just want to tell you right now, make 2023... Your, your goal for 2023, you're looking for a New Year's resolution. If pornography is a part of your rhythm, it's a part of your story, make 2023 the year that it ends in your life. And you're not going to be able to do that alone. You're going to have to, it is going to be embarrassing. You're going to have to confess that to others. You're going to have to feel like you're being paternalized. But, but bring light into that situation. Root that sin out. It will only destroy you. It will only destroy your intimacy with other people and friendships and a future spouse, and it'll only destroy your intimacy with God. So, so there is a way of the wicked. Again, you usually don't wake up in the morning and say, I'm going down the way of the wicked today, but you find yourself on, and it's pretty overtly wicked. It doesn't take much to say, wow, my heart is given to some wicked things. But there's another path of the wicked, and this is the one that, that really scares me, because it's more insidious, it's more hidden, it's harder to see. You know, we have a friend that um, she, she just got back from a mission trip to Bangladesh. You know, in church, we often talk about discipleship, right? We say, is this person discipled? Is this person discipled? Is that person discipled? Do we have a good discipleship plan? And, you know, I understand that, discipled, as if it's like you can be discipled. To some degree, that's somewhat helpful because you can come to a place in your life where you know how to read the Bible and you know how to, you know, apply the Bible to your life and you understand discipleship. But discipleship really is not a thing that is accomplished. It is an ongoing process. You're, you're always being discipled. You're always nurturing your heart, if you will. A disciple... Ultimately, the idea comes after a follower. A disciple is a follower. So you could say it this way. You're always following after something, right? You're always being discipled. You're always going away. And so we have this friend that just got back from this mission trip to Bangladesh. And she was there visiting a family member who's a missionary in Bangladesh. And this is not a mission sermon. It's not a call to missions. But she was just talking about the clarity of the moment. She was over there in Bangladesh and her family members a missionary in Bangladesh because there's 170 million people that live in Bangladesh and only about 500,000 of them know Jesus. And so the missionary friend is over there, the missionary family member is over there 
so that Christ will receive the glory that he is due in Bangladesh so that prayerfully, hopefully, many of those people that this person can minister to will come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. They'll come into fellowship with God through Christ. And so our friend, who's very, an incredibly godly person, who loves Jesus deeply, who's very well discipled, we would say this person's been discipled. And when she got back from the trip and she was just reflecting and she says, you know what, I live in Atlanta. And she says, I, I get, go to this trip and there they are, they wake up and they think about the things of the Lord. They think about using their life to obey Jesus. And I think about where I'm gonna kid, send my kids to school. And I think about what kind of car I'm gonna drive. And I think about where I'm gonna go on vacation. And it's not that those things are bad things to think about. I mean, vacation is good and cars are good. School is good. But I would just ask you that. Have you, have you found your way, <laughs> have you found yourself onto the path of the wicked? And, and what I mean by this is it's not necessarily these wicked things, but the things that you think about, what you're following has nothing to do with Jesus. <laughs> you're, you're taking the one precious life that God has given you to live and you're spending all your time and all your energy and all your wealth living for yourself, living for things that Atlanta has told you are comfortable. You're, being, you're a really good Atlanta disciple, but you're not a great Jesus disciple. You're, you're, that's the thing, you're being discipled. You're being discipled, I'm being discipled. We're being discipled all the time. And nobody wakes up and says, I'm going way of wicked. I'm going wickedness today. I'm going destruction today. But we find ourselves there because we're in a wind. I think that's what the psalmist is talking about. Notice when he talks about the wicked, he says they're like the, tra the chaff that the wind blows away. They just go along with the wind. You know, there's a sense that the Christian life is being able to stand against the wind. It's being able to stand in the wind. It's not, you're not just blown along by the wind. You're not just blown along by the currents of, the li of life. You know, Bob Dylan, you know, he has this famous song, Blowing in the Wind. The answer, my friend, is blowing in the wind. And I don't know if you've really ever listened to this song, but the, the song is about things that are obvious. I mean, that's the, the point of the, psalm, the song is, I almost said psalm. Bob Dylan didn't write psalms like David did, but he wrote songs that are helpful. And the point of the song is, all these things that he mentions, you sh they're obvious. They're, 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 they're easy to know. The answer to them, if you just would stop for a second and think about it, you would know the answer to it, but you haven't stopped for a second to think about it because you're just blown in the wind. You're just going along with whatever everybody else is just saying here. That, friends, is the way to the path of the wicked, <laughs> to just be blown along. You end up being like the chaff that's just blown along. Notice the progression, right? I mean, gosh, it's powerful. Walking by. Then all of a sudden, you're standing. Then all of a sudden, you've settled in. You're being discipled. You're being discipled toward the Lord or away from the Lord. You're learning how to think more like Jesus or more like the age. So that's the path of wickedness. But what about the path of righteousness? Look at verse two. I, I like to read this kind of in the positive sense. We can go back to the other slide here. 
I like to read this in the positive sense. The, the righteous man, you could say it this way, the, the righteous man, his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season. Its leaf doesn't wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked path leads to destruction, will not stand in the day of judgment. The righteous path leads to life and fruit and prosperity. But again, <laughs> you, you, nobody sets out to be on the wicked path. In fact, everybody is setting out to prosper. I mean, I, you, and you might say it, everybody's actually setting out to do what they think is righteous. I mean, everybody's setting out to, to take the righteous path. So what are those paths that we take that may or may not be righteous? Well, I think in, in, in this era, there, there are two ways that, that people set out toward righteousness that are very common. The first, it's kind of obvious, it's achievement, right? I'm going to do these things. I'll be, I'll be prosperous if I do these things. I mean, that is the message of the age. How do you get prosperity? You go to school, you do well in school, you do better than the other guy in school, you get into a better college than that guy, you get a better internship, you get a better job, you buy a bigger house, you marry a better spouse, you, you know, have more athletic kids. I mean, whatever it is, like, this is the way to prosperity, achieve, 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 do, 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 and you will be prosperous and you will be happy and you will be blessed. We hear that. That's the wind. I mean, you just you don't have to live too long in Atlanta to not get caught in that wind. That wind is blowing hard. Achievement. Now, there's a problem with achievement, though, and that is that it doesn't last that long. Uh, I just started reading uh, Arthur Brooks' new book, From Strength to Strength. And if you ever read that book, I haven't finished it, so I can't 100% recommend it yet. But the first part is pretty depressing, actually. He just talks about how we actually peak sooner than we think. And, uh, you know, I thought I, I used to think of myself as a young man, but now I'm realizing my mind is, its days are numbered, right? And, and we, we kind of hit this peak point in life a lot faster than we do, and there's this natural decline. And, and what happens is, as much as we may achieve, other people come along and they achieve greater things. You know, if, if achievement is beating the other, the problem is, is sometimes the other comes back and beats you. And then what do you have? He, he, uh, he talks about that he starts the book. There's a story that he, he doesn't say who it is, but he, he's hearing this guy on the plane and it's this famous guy that's done all these things that, that he himself, Arthur Brooks, admired. But he first heard him, he was sitting in the chair behind him in the plane saying, my life is, is amounted to nothing. That's the problem with achievement. It's never enough. It never lasts. There's always somebody that comes along and beats you. But there's another path that we try to take to righteousness, and that is the path of victimhood. This is kind of, I think, a more modern path that, that people are finding. And, and if achievement is blaming or is beating the other, uh, victimhood is blaming the other, right? I, I know that I am righteous because look how much I've suffered. Look how much these people have done wrong to me. I know that I am righteous because I've been a victim. I, I want to be careful here. I, I don't want to in any way want to take away from real human suffering or real human tragedy, of course, that exists. Please don't mishear me. 
But instead of living in an age where we see tragedy and we see hardship and we see suffering for what it is, and we focus not on the suffering, but on how we can overcome the suffering, how we can be redeemed from the suffering, we find ourselves in an age where it's very tempting to exploit our victimhood. And this is actually, for people, a pathway to righteousness. People are finding the righteous path. I, can, I have license. I have more license. I am righteous because look how I've suffered. Look how I am different. But Psalm 1, if two paths that we see, one is achievement, beating the other, one is victimhood, blaming the other, Psalm 1 gives us an entirely different path. And it is delighting in the other. Delighting in the other. What is the way to prosperity? This is, you wouldn't, you're not going to stumble upon this. You need God to say this to you. I'm just telling you, this is not the way the wind is blowing. How do you prosper? Listen to me. How do you prosper? You all want to prosper. How do you find righteousness? How do you stand in the day of judgment? I know you all want this. I want this too. And, and, and everybody is saying, beat the other or, come, you know, Blame the other. It's, it's not your fault. It's your parents' fault. Just keep blaming them. But, but Psalm 1 says, no, the real way is delight in the other. Delight in the other. Blessed is the man who delights in the Lord, in the law of the Lord. Blessed is the one who so delights in the Lord that he longs to hear from the Lord, that he wants to hear the counsel of the Lord. Blessed is the man who delights in the word of the Lord and meditates on God's word day and night. Do you delight in the law of the Lord? Is your righteousness, is your prosperity, is your strength internal, I've achieved, I've achieved, I've achieved, or I'm a victim, I'm a victim, I'm a victim, or is your strength external? God is glorious. God is good. He is my delight. He is my joy. And John Piper just wrote this new little book on saving faith, what it means to have saving faith. And he talks about a def- several different aspects of saving faith. And I'm not going to give you a book review, but one of the things that he talks about, he, he, he quotes John Owen And I love this little phrase. Saving faith is preferring or loving, or you could say delighting in Christ above all other beloveds. More than I love others, more than I love my own notoriety. I mean, if we're going to get into our own heart, we've got to (laughs) realize... I do love my own notoriety. I do have a propensity for power. I do love comfort. I, there are sins in my life that I do love. But saving faith, when you're really saved, is, is not that those delights totally go away. It's when you love Jesus more. It's when you want to please him more. It's when he's greater than all of your beloveds. It's the parable of the treasure, the man that found the field and there was a treasure in it. And and with joy, he went and sold everything he had to go and buy the treasure. Is that you? I mean, that's, that's saving faith. To delight in the Lord. Blessed is the man. Blessed is the woman who delights in the Lord. In the word of the Lord who longs to hear from the Lord to hear from him, to talk to him, to know him. Blessed is the man who delights in the Lord. Now, th- there is such a helpful word here, and this is so helpful. This is, this, this, this is not just reading the Bible, though it is. There's a word here that you have to get, and if you don't get this word, I've failed. And it's meditates. 
meditates. He meditates on this word day and night. Now, what the psalmist does is he explains to us, he teaches us what that word means. Eastern meditation, some of you know, is emptying your mind, right? What is Eastern meditation? Emptying your mind, right? Empty your mind, empty your mind. That's Eastern meditation. Now, some of you would say, well, I think I've been helped by Eastern meditation. And, and the reason is that you think you've been helped is because it does say, don't be stressed about work or don't be stressed about this or that, you know, clear those things from your head. But Christian meditation is different. Christian meditation doesn't say empty your mind. Christian meditation says fill your mind. The, the analogy is a tree planted by streams of water. A tree plant. So what does the tree planted by a stream of water do? Well, it sends its roots out into the stream and it takes what is in the stream and it fills itself up with the stream. All the nutrients, all the, the good things that are in the stream now become a part of the tree. It is filled with the stream. This is Christian meditation. Be filled with the knowledge of God. Be filled with the word of God. Fill your mind with the word and the knowledge of God. And then, then you'll know yourself. Then, then you'll be set free from the anxiety of work because you know God. Then you'll be free from the pressures of aging or health or whatever it is that's stressing you out because you know God, because the one who reigns over the whole universe, you know. You filled yourself with the knowledge of him. Your delight, he is your delight, not yourself. Eastern meditation ultimately only leads you back to self-focus. You're, you're filling your mind so you can focus on yourself. But Christian meditation says, no, fill your mind with the knowledge of God so you know him. And in him, there's freedom and life and joy. Blessed is the man who is like a tree planted on the word of God who's filling his mind, filling her mind, filling her heart with what is God. And, and, and the tree analogy is so helpful. What, what happens? I mean, what, the, the whole ontology, the whole nature of the tree is changed by what the tree absorbs. And the same will be true of you. This is, this is the invitation that you would so delight yourself in the Lord and in his word, that you would so fill yourself with God's truth that your very nature would change. You would actually become like God. You would, you would soak up this godliness. You would soak up this godly wisdom. Don't you see the invitation? It's amazing, the invitation of this passage. Blessed is the one who delights himself in the word of God. Now, of course, this simply begins with Bible intake. You're being discipled. You're intaking all kinds of messages all the time. Are you intaking what God has said to you? And so I want to be super practical here, and we don't have much time, but super practical. You need corporate Bible intake and individual Bible intake. You need Bible intake in settings like this. We're here to, together studying God's word together. You need to be in community groups. You need Christian friendships where you're meditating on God's word together as a corporate community. This is so right and good. But you also need individual Bible intake. And really the invitation, the practical invitation, the commitment that we're asking you to and that we ask you to as members is that you would have a time of personal devotion. Do you have a time of personal devotion? 
do you have a time where regularly or daily, some Christians call this a quiet time or Bible time, we call different things, but you have a time where regularly, daily, you're spending time with God. You're, you're soaking up his word. You're, you're delighting to hear from him. Is that a part of your rhythm in life? Listen, you're being discipled. You're being discipled. You're getting pushed one way or the other. Are you the tree that is planting your roots deep in the wisdom and word of God? If this is kind of a new idea to you, one of the things that we've done here at Christ's Covenant, and I think these are super helpful, is we've prepared these nine different field guides that go along with each of the nine behaviors that we talk about. And we have one for personal devotion. Now, we, we did not print one out for everyone, but we do have several in the emphasis area. I encourage you to grab it on the way out. But they're all available online. So if you, if you, if you don't get one today, they're all available on the webpage, christcovenant.com. Go to resources, type in guides, and it'll come up. And, and there's a few just very practical things in this. Seven basic ideas. Choose a time. You know, if you want to start doing this, you got to have a regular time. And just like everything in your life, right? If you want to exercise, you have a regular time of exercise. If you want to read, you have a regular time of reading. If you, anything in your life that you want to do with any consistency, you have a consistent time. Choose a place. You'll be better at this if there's a consistent place that you go to. And as soon as you sit in that chair, sit at that desk, you, this is the place where I commune with the Lord. Choose a scripture reading plan. And we've put on the little booklet several reading plans. We produce a rhythms reading plan. It's also on our webpage. We have a yearly Bible reading plan. All these are available at the emphasis area. But don't be haphazard in this. What we're saying is what we don't want you to do is just to get to this every day and say, ah, where am I going to read today? But no, have a, have a plan that you're working through, that you're intaking God's word in a systematic way. Use a plan for your prayer. Again, don't just prayer haphazardly, but have a plan for this. You will be helped in your prayer life if you learn to pray through scripture, if you learn to use a prayer journal. Consider journaling. Again, we, Jordan gave out the Rhythms Journal earlier. It's a great tool. Number six, and, and I want to encourage you in this. Create goals and seek accountability. Create goals and seek accountability. If you really want to do this, if you've never done this and you really want to do this, I want you to say, look, I want to do this for three months solid. I want to do this in the next 90 days. Would you keep me accountable on this? Or look, Jason says something today. He was talking about this ascendant area in your life, and here's a scenario in my life, and I know that if I'm in God's word, the power of God's word and the power of the spirit of God will come alive in me and help me to defeat this sin. Here's the sin. I'm going to work on putting this sin to death. Will you keep me accountable? And then number seven is be flexible. Be flexible. I, 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 I want you to be systematic about this, but, but let the spirit lead you. I mean, there, there's days where you might just start reading and you you get past where you're supposed to read that day and you just keep going. That's great. Or there be days where you find yourself just in a deep moment of prayer and you don't get time to get into the word. That's okay. I mean, be flexible. And it's the goal here is that you're communing with the Lord. It doesn't have to be complex. But it is a commitment to say, here's what it is. It's a commitment to say, look, I want to be on the way of the righteous. I want to be on the path of righteousness. I want to be a tree. A tree that doesn't wither. A tree that's fruitful for the Lord. A tree that prospers. And again, the, the Christian life is never a, it's never a promise that life will always be easy. 
but it's even in the difficulty, you'll, you'll be alive. You won't wither. You, you, you won't be a victim of the wind. Even when the wind is blowing hard against you and not with you, you'll prosper because you're a tree, you're strong, you're rooted in something that cannot be moved. And so that brings us to our last point, which is the way to the right path. You know, the Psalms are full of passages like this. You read the Psalms? The righteous will prosper, wicked will perish. The righteous will stand, the wicked will not stand. The wicked will be blown away, the righteous will be blessed. The Psalms are full of passages like this. But if you really read the Psalms <laughs> and you really know yourself, they can actually be kind of terrifying to read. Because let's be honest, <laughs> who is righteous? <laughs> I mean, they're, they're really actually only comforting to read if you are the righteous man. Then you know you'll prosper. But I don't know if anyone of us, if we're really honest today, would say, it's a great thing that I am the righteous man and that I always delight in the Lord and that I'm always faced toward the Lord and that the thing that I love more than all my other beloveds is Jesus. If that's how you're feeling right now, I think you're missing the point too. The Bible tells us actually there's only one who's righteous. Actually, all of us have turned aside. We've all gone our own way. No one is righteous except for Jesus. But he never turned aside. He always delighted in the Lord. He is the one who was the strong tree that was always fruitful, that was always planted in his father's word that delighted in the word. And, and so he was blessed. He was blessed beyond measure. He prospered in every way. Yet, he identified with the wicked. That's really his gospel mission, to identify with people like us on the wicked path and, and to identify with us in such a profound way. And this is the amazing gospel message that he would take on our sin and die in our place. That, that he, because of his righteousness and because of his atoning death, would bring us back in to the Lord and to the Lord's presence. The wicked will not stand on the day of the Lord. I mean, who of us on our own could stand before the Lord? Who of us on our own, when all is known, when the secrets revealed, could stand before the Lord? And the answer is no one. There's no one righteous. There's not even one. But what Christ has done for you in his mercy and in his grace is he's covered your sin with his blood. He's died in your place. And so in him and because of him, you can be brought back in to fellowship with God without fear. And if Jesus has done that for you, oh, if Jesus has done that for you, he'll be your, who's, who's done that for you? Who's done that for you? Who's done anything like that for you? Who's loved you like that? Who's given of themselves for you like that? If he's done that for you, you know what'll start to happen? I just, I just, this, it'll happen. Your heart will delight in him. 
your heart will turn to him. You'll, you'll, you'll respond to his love. Your heart will delight him. He'll become your delight. He'll become the thing that you love. He'll become the one that you never want to let down. He'll become the one that you always want to please. He'll become the one that you trust because you know how much he loves you. He'll become the one that you can look to in any circumstance because you know you can trust him, because you know he is wise, because you know he is good, and because you know he has your best interest in mind. Blessed is the man who doesn't just get blown over here to the way of the wicked, but who sees Jesus, who's called into a delight of the Lord through Christ. That's the invitation. And the invitation is, is that every day that would be renewed as you feast on God's word, as you delight in him. Every day you're, you're gonna be walking on one path or the other. The path of the righteous or the path of the wicked. I pray by God's grace and, and because of his son's mercy, he would pull our hearts to himself in the way of righteousness. Let's pray. <sighs> Father, give us a clarity of heart right now. I pray that our hearts and minds would not be empty right now. It would be full It'd be full of your truth. And actually, your truth would give us the perspective and clarity to discern everything else around us. We can know what is right and wise and good and what is wicked and what's a waste of time. Father, please just fill our minds, fill our hearts with your word today. We want to prosper, but we want to really prosper. Not temporary prospering, but eternal prospering. And I know that is the plan that you have for your people. So Lord, maybe we be the people that dig deep roots into the word that you've so graciously revealed to us. May we be changed by it, made new by it. And I pray this in.